Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 115 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, before we get into the main part of the show, I wanted to let you know about my online PR course and group coaching program, Vegans in the Limelight. It's ideal for small business owners, including authors, artists and creatives on a budget who understand the value of getting yourself or your vegan brand featured regularly in the media, but can't afford to spend thousands of dollars or pounds a month to hire a publicist or PR firm. With Vegans in the Limelight, you get access to online video training that takes you through every step of how to get media coverage that can help you generate more leads and sales, as well as grow your email list and social media following. So we cover how PR and social media work in tandem, how to research and target the media without spending a cent, how to find the stories in your vegan brand on a regular basis, how to approach journalists the right way with ideas and stories. That's a really important one. How and when to write a media release. How to create an online media room for your website without spending heaps of time or money. How to respond to journalists' call-outs or queries, which is the easiest and quickest way to get media coverage and free publicity content marketing and PR, so how to create your own shareworthy stuff and leverage it to the max, writing and content creation tips for opinion pieces, listicles, features and columns, speaking gigs and PR, so how to leverage events to gain media coverage, and interview tips for print, online, radio and TV. Now, as well as the video training, which you go through at your own pace over 12 months, the program also includes a full 12 months of group coaching, including a monthly live Q&A call. You can also post your questions throughout the year on the learning platform, and you can post your pitches and media releases and get feedback from me before you send them to journalists. So you've basically got me holding your hand, helping you to do your own PR for a full year. It's a great value program. It's way more affordable than similar courses. And it's the only one that's specifically aimed at vegan and plant-based business owners, entrepreneurs, authors, coaches, and creators. Current students have already got media coverage in mainstream and specialist newspapers, magazines, radio and TV shows, as well as blogs and podcasts. So if you'd like to get your vegan brand or yourself featured in the media, but don't have the budget to hire a publicist or PR agency, then I highly recommend you check out this program. You get full and immediate access to the materials as soon as you enroll. You can find out all the details by going to veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the link for the program Vegans in the Limelight. And there's also a link on the show notes page. And if you have any questions about the program, including whether it's right for you, feel free to email me at katrina at veganbusinessmedia.com. Now for the main part of the show. 
In this episode, I interview Jodie Monell, the founder and CEO of global media company Live Kindly in Vancouver, Canada. Originally from Bath in the UK, Jodie has a background in media sales for BBC magazines and worked in marketing for Hootsuite and a small venture capital startup. During her time working at the VC fund, she was inspired by the entrepreneurs she met and began exploring how to turn her blog into a business with large-scale impact. In 2017, Live Kindly came into being and quickly became a popular news source for millions of people, regardless of their dietary choices, focused on empowering people to make positive changes, big or small, in their own lives and how their daily actions make a difference in the world. In this episode, Jodie discusses the challenges involved in the early days of Live Kindly and how she handled them, why she spent the first 18 months growing a brand and community without a focus on monetization, the mistake she made when deciding to seek investors to raise capital to fund the business and allow it to grow, and what she learned from the experience, how and why Live Kindly is creating multiple streams of income, including advertising, and taking a broader approach to its offerings, and what this means for vegan brands, and much more. Here's the interview with Jodie Monell of Live Kindly. Hello, Jodie. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Katrina. Thank you. I'm so humbled to be here. Oh, well, it's, it's great. So we've been watching your growth with Live Kindly with a lot of admiration, as I was just saying to you before we came on air. So I'm really delighted to, to have you on the show um, because you've really, uh, you know, had a lot of success um, with growing uh, Live Kindly as a digital media platform. So I know you've got a background in media sales, I believe, and you're an executive assistant at Hootsuite. Um, now you're the CEO, very popular and successful digital media platform that I'm sure most of our listeners will have heard of. Called Live Kindly. Now, I always ask people at the beginning of, an, of the podcast, what's your why? What are your drivers for doing what you do? Um, you know, what's a really kind of interesting question. I think it's, it's, it's not one kind of reason. And I think it's just an amalgamation of, of lots of things that happened over my life. Um, and, you know, it, this was my turning vegan that really, um, I guess, transpired into, into me creating this. And I, I dabbled in, um, I, I went vegan about five years ago uh, when I was living in New Zealand. And um, I, I started a blog and I kind of realized that I wasn't really impacting a lot of people that way. And, you know, you don't have as much reach and who really cares what you're eating for dinner. And, <laughs> and I, I really just found it kind of difficult to, to maintain and have the upkeep of it when it was just me um, as myself kind of just talking about myself and and I was um, obviously a new vegan and super passionate and you know not to say that I'm not passionate now but it you know it was something that I really wanted to encompass more into my lifestyle more so than just you know um, the way that I was living my life personally Um, and I, I moved to Vancouver in Canada Shortly after, and I um, after working at Hootsuite, I worked for a small VC company, and I was just so inspired seeing so many entrepreneurs starting their own, you know, tech companies or whatever they were doing, and being so passionate, and you know, having that, um, well, turning their lifestyle and their interests into something that they, you know, could 
essentially turn into a business or could live their lives that way, essentially turning their lifestyle into a business. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily thinking about it that way, but I, I was just inspired to do something. So, um, so yeah, I, I kind of reached out to a few people. Um, I reached out to a, a web developer I knew who built the site for free. Um, very, very lucky. And then reached out to a bunch of people in, um, various vegan Facebook groups and you know what the vegan community is like. It's just so <laughs> passionate and people want to give and, and they're so, um, you know, want to spread this, this kind of message of, of veganism. And, um, so yeah, I had, um, a bunch of contributors write for me for free to begin with. And I was writing at that time as well. And, um, within just a very short space of time, we started growing and, and I had no idea that it would grow this big and we just kept kind of going with it. But it was really kind of a mixture of me being inspired by the vegan lifestyle and inspired to, to do something that was completely in my control and that I could build and I, I didn't you know see anything else quite like it out there um at oh, that time. I love that I love the, the collaboration aspect because you're right you know sometimes when we try to do things on our own it, it's not to say you can't but I think ultimately you need some kind of collaboration or, or team around you so I, I love that you explained that and, and how it grew and obviously it became very popular and people really resonated with the content so what were some of your challenges so you mentioned you started out with contributors writing for free initially and then you started to get a bit of momentum so what were some of these challenges when you first started up uh, Live Kindly and how did you handle them? Oh my gosh, there were so many challenges. I mean, I had to use, to learn how to use WordPress. (laughs) (laughs) I I wasn't skilled in in any kind of sense of the word for running a a media company and um, I really had to learn as I was going. I mean, you could just say that I was winging it the entire time. wouldn't be wouldn't be not true you know so I yeah I pretty much was learning as I was going and and there were plenty of stumbling blocks um plenty of kind of sleepless nights me tearing my hair out trying to figure out how to format an article so it was really um I guess there wasn't any easy part um everything on a daily basis was a bit of a struggle with me kind of learning how to do things and also teaching other people when I was very new to it um but yeah, it was, I guess, also really um, portraying the the brand and the message that I wanted to in the um, the most accurate accurate way that I could, and I wanted to create a positive, um, inspiring, you know, media publication, and I, I needed to really think about our positioning so carefully and how we were going to attract the right kind of audience. And, um, and there's just so much that goes into it. It took a long time to really, I mean, even think of the name, um, took me weeks (laughs) and we went through various other stages of choosing different names beforehand. And and I'm glad that we ended up with the one that we did, but, um, yeah, the entire, the entire thing was a long process. Yeah, yeah. It's good that you, you mentioned that you thought about your audience and who you were trying to attract because often I know sometimes people go, oh, I'm going to start something because I want to do it and it's what I love. I, I, I like the fact that you've mentioned, well, actually, you were really thinking about your positioning and your branding quite early on because I know for the first 18 months, I think you've mentioned that you you spent that time literally growing a brand and community without a real focus on monetization. So uh, I'm curious, why did you decide to take that approach? What were the benefits and what, if anything, might you have done differently looking back? Um, I think, again, there are, there are lots of kind of answers to that question. I guess to begin with, I didn't really know how to monetize it. I think it's ext- extremely difficult to monetize 
any sort of um, you know blog or media um, outlet you know digital media space if you're not selling print it can be difficult especially if you don't want to have you know ads from Google on your website because I mean you can't control it I didn't really want meat and leather or anything like that or any kind of animal exploitation to be on on the website and so that just wasn't an option for me at that time and it, and it still isn't now um, so one I guess would be that I, I didn't know how to monetize and secondly I was in a very um, good position that the investors that I had and that I have um, believed in what I was doing so much that they also encouraged me to not focus on the monetization so early on and I felt that that was the right thing to do as well I didn't want to I didn't want to build this um, platform to make money. I mean, obviously, we need to make money to keep sustaining what we're doing. It's expensive to create content and um, and to have so many writers, you know. But I, I didn't want to kind of give out that message that I just built this to make money. So, um, yeah, I was just I'm very grateful to have been in that position where I didn't need to and, and my investors really believed in what I was doing and, and thought it was really important to grow the community just as much as I did. Fantastic. That's great. I think that's really good to hear, actually, because I think a lot of people think, oh, investors, you know, they just want to kind of get their money back as soon, you know, if they're going to invest, they want their money back as soon as possible and can often push entrepreneurs to do things they might not want to do. So it's really good to hear. And I think that's a good message about getting the right investors as well who are on board with your mission. So that leads nicely into talking a little bit about investment and capital raising, because I've been sort of watching your journey on Facebook where you're saying, I'm getting on a bus to Chicago and I'm meeting this person. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, huge kudos to you. So love to talk a little bit about that because I know obviously as you mentioned you know creating engaging content it's very time consuming you know as a journalist myself I, I know that it can take the time you know to whether it's to craft a really nice you know written article or certainly video and video editing is all very time consuming um, so you've got a little bit as you mentioned a bit of uh, investment early on to, to sort of pay a handful of writers and and then now that you've actually um, gone on to a full capital raising round I think you've raised about a million dollars so when did you know that both yourself and Liv kindly were ready for kind of a full-on capital raising round you know what it took me a long time to realize and probably much longer than it should have done um, they usually say that you need to um, give yourself about a six month buffer um, if you're going to be raising funds you know to make sure you have that length of time to secure the amount that you need and I left it to like three minutes three months before I was <laughs> I think you're gonna say three minutes I was gonna say that's gotta be a record <laughs> whole different story <laughs> but yeah I, I had like half the time so three months to to raise capital and I was um you know I was essentially going to run out of money by that point um and I I feel kind of silly for saying this now and looking back on it that I hadn't realized sooner I mean I, I kind of did but I was was just severely underprepared and I'm really thankful that I have an advisor who is um who's been following what we've been doing for a very long time and really believes in what we're doing. And she has, um, she has essentially been through the fundraising herself and she has a whole wealth of experience. So she really coached me through it. And um, the point that I knew that I needed to raise money was actually just through having conversations with her and, and realizing that I didn't want to sell my company to any other investor. I mean, I have, I have quite a lot of offers with people who do want to buy, um, you know, the business outright. And I, it's not something that I 
want to do at this stage. Um, and so at that point, I realized, well, I'm not making any money right now and I'm about to run out of the investment that I do have. So I better do something about it. And, um, and Brooke, yeah, she coached me all the way through that. And um, I'm very, very thankful for that because it's really allowed me to keep doing what I'm doing and, and keep that control over what I'm doing and, and hopefully continue to grow um, as we're planning to. Absolutely. Can you tell us a bit about that investment process? Like, how was it for you? Because if you've certainly, if you hadn't done it before, you've literally almost kind of been uh, thrown into this position of CEO. You know, you started out, like you say, writing a blog, and then you've transitioned into CEO process. So, talk a little bit about that kind of experience, including the fundraising. Because I think I saw on Facebook you'd mentioned you had experienced some sexism in regards to growing Live Kindly. Rejection, of course, is a kind of given in terms of when you are fundraising, not everybody's going to say yes. So, can you talk a little bit about that experience yeah it was um it's definitely been a bit of a roller coaster of a year I mean <laughs> um you know managing a team for one um is, is tough and my team's international so you know I, I don't have an office and I don't really have a nine-to-five job so I don't have a switch off time it's kind of like as soon as North America team goes to bed the UK wakes up and the whole process starts again so I'm kind of <laughs> awake 24 <laughs> so that was you know I'm, I'm working kind of more than a full-time job as it is already and then um, when it came to fundraising I didn't really realize that there's essentially another full-time job so I um, I was extremely kind of tired and stressed and um, and obviously quite kind of panicked throughout that entire process realizing that I had left it too late thinking that I wasn't going to be able to um to raise the funds in time but thankfully um you know just having mostly having Brooke and and the tips that she gave um you know really helped kind of set me up for success and um, I'm really thankful you know, for having those kind of insider tips with one you know how to seek out investors to kind of what the etiquette is and how to build a pitch deck that really kind of speaks to, um, you know, what it is you're trying to build and, and your performance to date. You know, the, the first iteration of my pitch deck was just horrific looking back on it now <laughs> and, you know, going through that process and realizing that it's a living thing and that you really need to tell this, the story and, and make sure that it's concise and impactful and that it shows your company and, and your vision in the best light possible and without kind of losing um, an investor's attention. And, you know, it's not just about kind of walking in there and, and getting money and, and leaving. It's about establishing these relationships over a period of time and, and knowing that also not everyone that you speak to is going to say yes. And it's not going to be a yes right now. It's, it's very much, um, it, yeah, it's a, it's a process of building, building relationships and building trust. And I think that, that's something that I didn't quite appreciate until going through it myself. So I'm much more prepared for the next seed round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastic. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Like what you say about, yeah, that the building relationships is really important. I'm wondering as well whether, you know, you said you were underprepared, you only had a certain amount of time, whether that gave you a bit more of drive to actually, because you were really kind of under the gun, so to speak, to having to secure that money because you were running out. I wonder if that kind of gave you that extra drive and to, to get investment. It did, it did. And you know what? The the um thing is that you can't kind of let on to that either while you're fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I really 
kind of keep that under wraps. And now I know that if I'm going to be raising funds again in the future, which I will, that if I give myself that six month window, that I can be a lot more relaxed with, <clears throat> you know, how I'm building these relationships over a longer period of time. And I, I don't kind of have to, to rush into a lot of the things that I was doing. And, um, and yeah, so I, I advise anyone to um, anyone fundraising right now to definitely lawyer up first and give yourself at least six months before you start doing it because that was mm. a big mistake of mine. That yeah, that's great advice, and it's great as well. I love the fact that you've really kind of tapped into getting expert help when you needed it, which can really kind of help with some of the cut through. I mean, I know I get approached a lot by vegan business owners saying, "Oh, I'm launching this shoe brand, and I need an investor now to buy stock. Can you?" give me the phone number of someone. I'm just like, I just send them to the blog post. I've done like, here's how to find a vegan investor. Cause it's like, investors don't want to hear that, that, you know, you haven't got that money or whatever you And if you haven't developed that relationship, you know, it can be quite difficult to just kind of get your foot in the door straight away. So I, I like the fact that you've really kind of, uh, like you say, you know, tapped into relationships and expert help to, to help to guide you through it. I think that's, um, that's really good advice. Yeah, I would say also, you know, if you are a sole founder of a company, it, it can be tough if you don't have that co-founder to kind of bounce ideas or stress or, you know, your emotions off of. So getting an advisor is definitely, you know, if you're alone or even if you're not, I think it's, um, you know, definitely look good to look for other expertise if you haven't gone through that um, experience yourself. It was invaluable. Yeah, for sure. Lovely, lovely. So let's talk a little bit about monetization. So Live Kindly at the moment, it seems to be creating multiple streams of income. So you've got your Club Kindly membership where people get all different kinds of perks by subscribing and paying each month to an ad a platform, which I believe you developed with Florian, who I think I've had on the podcast in regards to his cinnamon business, um, uh, his uh, bun business, <laughs> uh, to partnering with a range of brands, both vegan and more broadly uh, compassionate companies, to offer a range of services and products. So can you tell us a little bit about that? So what I'm thinking is how do you decide who to partner with, on what, and how to make it a win for everyone? Yeah, so essentially, you know, when it comes to partnering with other brands, um, my main focus is that we look for who or companies who are mission aligned. Um, they don't, I mean, obviously they have to be vegan, but that doesn't have to be their main purpose. It can be, you know, very much environmental or humanitarian, whatever it is, as long as it's not causing any harm, um, you know, or it's, it's finding a way to reduce harm in the world, then I, I want to back it, I want to support it, and I want to... Um, be a brand that keeps our integrity with who we partner with. It's really important to me that um, that our values are kind of transparent and through and through in what we do. Um, yeah, the the other ways that we're monetizing right now. Obviously, we have the club, so you can receive additional um, kind of content on a monthly basis and offers from brands that we partner with. Who um, you know, there are just so many incredible vegan kind of products and companies that are starting on a daily basis and we really wanted like an, an extra way to support them and to bring that to people's attentions and and we you know obviously produce a lot of uh content on a daily basis but people were we felt were wanting more um so that's just another way that we can continue to do that and um and hopefully you know keep the lights on and keep our writers ca caffeinated as well <laughs> So it seems to be going pretty well so far. People seem to be really enjoying the content. Um, in terms of the other ways that we're monetizing, yes, it's um, we're building a, a vegan ad network. Um, 
I mentioned earlier that I struggled with monetization through using um, Google, I think it's called AdWords. Yeah. Um, and I just, yeah. I didn't like the lack of control that, you know, was available. I know you can kind of filter certain things out, but um, it's, it's not really guaranteed and it's really difficult to um, monetize when you're filtering out so many different kind of categories. And I, so I, I was really hesitant with that. And, I, and it made sense when Florian approached me about building this, um, this ad network that this is something that we can control. We can enable other vegan bloggers and um, other websites that have this integrity to, to generate money from, um, from their web traffic and, and not have to kind of sacrifice their integrity by having a KFC ad pop up on their site. <laughs> so, um, so I'm very thankful that and this is something which has only launched in the last week, but we now have ads on the site, which um, it took a bit of getting used to for me because I loved having it clean and minimal and just the content there. But in order for us to kind of keep going as we're, as we're going and we do need to pay our staff. So I'm, I'm really pleased that we can have that and not kind of um, not be promoting anything that we don't believe in. Um, so yeah, those are our two methods of monetization at the moment. And today we actually launched a meal plan service as well, which is completely customizable and wow. uh, like, chat 24 seven. So you can kind of speak to, um, people who can kind of coach you through and yeah, it seems like a really good time to launch it just as we approach January. Yes, absolutely. It seems like, cause as you're talking about this, I'm like, this is wonderful. That takes, I mean, even each one of those is like a kind of massive project in of itself, or it seems like it is, you know, just to kind of get that organized. And I'm just curious, how do you kind of do that all? Because it seems like, I mean, obviously you're the, you're the CEO, but it, you're sort of overseeing everything. You're juggling a lot of balls. Yes, um, <laughs> I'm a bit of a masochist. <laughs> <laughs> it's very tough and, um, and it's very stressful. I'm really thankful, though, that I have an incredible team of people who are probably just as stressed as I am. Um, and you know what, when you're in a startup phase, it's, you have your job roles, but they are also quite fluid. So everyone kind of needs to jump in and it's all hands on deck. So um, I'm really grateful that I have a, an incredible team of, um, of mostly women. <laughs> and um, Yes, which is lovely, actually. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're so supportive. I would not be here without them. I mean, they kind of keep me sane at the same time because they are just, you know, they are the people who are creating this content and making this work. I mean, I'm just, I'm just coordinating things, to be honest. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, just on the, in, in terms of the monetization. So obviously, you know, my background's journalism. I'm now doing some like PR consulting. So I guess I, I need to ask this on behalf of vegan brands who I know are listening that would, would want me to ask it. What does the monetization of Live Kindly mean for vegan brands who've got a story to share and they're hoping to get editorial coverage? So can they or their publicists still pitch your team um yes i mean we are not just doing um sponsored content i mean we 99.9 percent .9 of our content is all free so it's not um you know i would always say if you have a press release if you have an announcement you're launching a new product whatever it is i mean just let us know we um essentially just want to kind of promote as much as we can but it's it's also down to kind of editorial discretion if, if we um if we really think it's something that our audience is going to be super excited about and we have enough space for it on our schedule and it works with what we have coming up i mean we schedule content 
aside from news, which kind of is a pretty much a daily thing, we, we schedule all of our content months in advance. So, Oh, really? That's interesting to know, because I know with print, that's obviously been the case. And um, so it's interesting that you do that even in regards to your features and interviews, you're scheduling months in advance. As much as we can. I mean, you know, things change, um, you know, frequently as well. And we need to kind of keep up with whatever is kind of topical and in the news. So yeah. Um, we try to pre-plan as much as possible. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't ever want to be a brand that just, you know, covers things for the sake of, of getting money. We um, we just want to support as many vegan companies as possible. So yes, send all of the information our way. Okay, fantastic. Now, Live Kindly, as you said, it's, it is and it always will be a, a vegan brand in terms of the, the vegan ethics. But I noticed you've also started to take a bit more of a broader approach to living kindly in terms of your offerings from, I think, personal development, mind, body, spirit stuff, and possibly some product, a product line, um, maybe uh, down the track. Um, why is that? You know what, I think from my personal experience in going vegan that I, I feel like I came, became a lot more connected with, with mind, body, spirit and the, the holistic approach to veganism and not just coming at it from an animal rights perspective. Although, you know, I'm an ethical vegan and I, I went vegan myself for the animals and, and second to that for the environment. I, I really feel that it's important to not forget about the human side of it and our tagline is for humanity our home and those who share it with us and I really felt that we had been lacking in the the humanity side of things I I don't think that we had taken into account um, you know personal self-care and how important that is and um, how important it is to to be kind to others as well because I, I think that taking the holistic approach to to veganism is is really the only way because it's contradictive of itself if you don't. I think that kindness breeds kindness and we need to learn to be kind to ourselves before we can be kind to others. And um, it, it's just something that resonated with me a lot more. And I was just looking at our content and I, I just felt that it was really lacking. Um, and you know what? I, I created Live Kindly as a way to inspire and um, make people feel good about their decisions. And I just think that this was another way of, of doing that and, um, and keeping in line with, with how I originally envisaged the brand to be. Great. And have you found you've got sort of a positive impact from people if you're, you know, like partnering with say an environmental organization or a humanitarian one, how do they feel about partnering with a, a quote, a vegan brand? Um, I don't think we've had that experience just yet I can't think of anything off the top of my head that we have had been in that situation but I I would hope that you know because of our approach that um that it wouldn't be a problem I mean 42% of our audience say that they're not vegan that they are veg curious which means they're either you know vegetarian omnivorous still or pescatarian whatever it is um which means that I think we have a really broad appeal um to people who are curious about you know going plant-based or or vegan or reducing their meat meat intake um so i i hope that it kind of is a bit more welcoming than um the typical you know view of of maybe a more mainstream brand to a vegan company um that that would be my hope anyway i 
<clears throat> I really aim to be as inclusive as possible with everything that we do. So we'll see when it happens, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so last couple of questions just to wrap up. In terms of your current challenges, I'm curious what they are now and how they sort of differ to when you started up. And one of the things I think I'm, I'm curious about, particularly is social media, for example, Facebook's algorithms are changing constantly. I think this is an issue for, for vegan entrepreneurs who are not necessarily media companies, but are still producing their own content. Um, and certainly both online publishers uh, and business owners are feeling the, the pinch in terms of not reaching as many of their audience organically as they used to with their content um, not just on Facebook but potentially on other social media platforms so curious what's been your experience with this and how you've dealt with it and any other current challenges uh, you're dealing with yeah um, algorithms are, are tough uh, Facebook has really hurt all all publishers in terms of their organic reach and their growth and I know that Instagram has been through the same I think that was before that we even began our Instagram page, but it's it's tough. And I think that um, the biggest thing that I've learned from that is that you really don't want to build any kind of company or brand that relies on a third party. I mean, if you if you want to build your reach, I mean, go at it from an SEO perspective and really kind of nail that down first. So then you're getting all of your audience through search rather than relying on something that can easily change and you know. Um, and really hurt your business. I mean, I, I would hate for someone to be in a, a situation where their, you know, their business was completely destroyed because of an algorithm change. And that is something that could really happen. So um, I think it's, you know, if you have that control over it and um, you're not relying on another platform to promote your content, then um, that's probably the safest bet going forward. I mean, continue to use the platforms, but don't rely on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, so just wrapping up then, what's your long-term vision for both yourself and Live Kindly? Um, I mean, we have so much so much planned for next year and the next kind of five years. I'm really excited. I can't give too much away, but all I want to say is that we want to create the biggest impact that we can. We want to be known as the, I don't know, the the leaders and kind of living kindly and, you know, encompassing that throughout any aspect of your life. So I really want to continue to grow and to broaden and to reach more people and inspire more people um, to be kind and compassionate. I want it to be destigmatized. I don't want it to be felt as kind of weak or, um, you know, I, I guess I hate the term like masculine because it, it's, it's, it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me that you can't be kind and, and masculine. So I really want to just destigmatize a lot of the, um, a lot of the connotations around, you know, living a vegan or plant-based lifestyle and being kind to others and just make it much more aspirational. And in terms of what we're actually going to be doing, I mean, we'll still always continue to create more content and um, hopefully next year we'll be launching a product as well. So all I can do to take animals out of, you know, being exploited or being a commodity. Um, that's what I want to do. Wonderful. Well, I think you're definitely uh, an inspiration, you know, for someone who's, who's, you know, as I say, started out having a blog to, you know, having this really cool digital media company, um, you know, thinking broadly about living kindly and partnering collaboration. I think there's been lots of really, really great nuggets in today's interview that I know that uh, vegan entrepreneurs are going to get a lot out of. So I know you've got a very busy schedule, Jody. So I just want to say a huge thank you for coming on the show today. It's been lovely speaking with a fellow Brit, both of us living on 
different continents than where we were born. Um, and uh, yeah, really, really great to speak with you. So thank you. Thank you so much, Katrina. So that was Jodie Manel from Live Kindly. You can find out more at livekindly.co. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 115. Now for our vegan business news roundup. The world's first vegan hotel suite was launched recently. That's January 2019 if you're listening in the future. Hilton London Bankside in the UK announced a brand new vegan-friendly hotel suite to coincide with Veganuary. The luxury suite, which was developed in partnership with multi-sensory design experts Bompas and Parr, offers a fully vegan experience from a plant-based check-in desk with Pinatex seating and keycard made from Pinatex, that's pineapple leather, to vegan-friendly bedding and eco-cotton carpets. The whole suite underwent a complete refurbishment with the involvement of the Vegan Society, which was consulted on the vegan-friendly materials and design elements throughout the process. Pillow options include antibacterial, non-allergenic and environmentally sourced material to replace feathered down, while the flooring is made from 100% renewable and sustainable mosso bamboo covered with organic cotton carpets. There's a vegan mini bar with naked fruit and nut snacks and deliciously Ella energy balls in different flavours, plus a vegan in-room menu. There's even vegan toiletries, cleaning products and stationery. Wow, this is pretty incredible. I love the level of detail they've gone into. Now this of course is how we want every hotel suite to be. So let's hope that this vegan suite is booked solid so hotel chains consider making the change. Certainly a great start. Vegan's baby founder, Diana Edelman, who I interviewed in episode 111 of this podcast, has teamed up with food distributor and restaurant owner Nina Manchev to launch Pure World Distribution. Las Vegas' only all-vegan food distribution company. Edelman, whose aim is to make vegan living and dining in Las Vegas as easy as possible, said partnering with Manchev provided a much-needed gap to help restaurants and chefs offer more vegan dishes and food products in a retail environment. According to Live Kindly, in the past year, the number of vegan restaurants in Las Vegas has increased more than 400%, putting the city on the map as one of the most vegan-friendly dining destinations in the US. Pure World Distribution plans to ensure that restaurants in Sin City and their clientele have access to the best vegan products on the market. So this is a great example of collaboration between people with different experiences and skill sets, but who share the same interests and mission. And I hope it gives you some inspiration as to how you may be able to form similar partnerships in your area of business. Finally, the countries and cities where veganism was most popular during 2018 have been revealed by Chef's Pencil, an online website for professional chefs. The publication used Google Trends to analyse the search interest level for veganism across the world. 
In 2018, searches in the veganism category, which comprises vegan-related searches made in any language, for example, veganism, vegan restaurants, vegan recipes, was at an all-time high. Australia took out the top gong as the most popular country for vegans in 2018, retaining its first place from 2017. It also boasts three of the world's top 20 cities, Melbourne, Adelaide and Brisbane, where veganism was most popular in 2018. The UK was in second place, followed by New Zealand, Sweden, Canada, Israel, the US, Ireland, Austria and Germany. The number one top city in the world where veganism was most popular in 2018 was Bristol in the UK, followed by Portland in the US, Edinburgh in Scotland, Vancouver, Seattle, then UK cities Manchester and Leeds, then Los Angeles and Glasgow in Scotland. So there's some unexpected places higher up on these lists. And this kind of data and trends are helpful for you as a vegan business owner, particularly if you export overseas or you have national outlets, but also so you can decide where to open a new business and also to use these trends and data as a hook to generate media interest. Great to see interest in veganism spreading far and wide. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more free resources as well as details of how we can work together to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 